for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. If you're drawing your 2020 elk tag, we know exactly what you're going through right now. So many questions and only so many days to get them answered. That's exactly why we're here, y'all. Last week, we began talking about the top three elk hunting concerns that we were getting from our listeners. And we started off with the big one, finding elk. We all know that finding elk is half the battle to being able to punch your tag. But tonight, we talk about the next two concerning areas, calling elk and knowledge of the hunting area. Your coaches talk about each of those areas and give you some points and tips and thoughts that you can use in this upcoming elk season. Those topics along with our Elk Bros shout outs and letters from our Elk Bros mailbox. So my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkBros.com, with your host Gilbert Ornelas and Elk Hunting Coach Joe Gillian. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello there, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy the show. And for those blue collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas coming to you from Spring, Texas, and from Katy, Texas, the one and only Luis Gonzalez, a member from the Louis, from the Venezuelan Mafia. And tonight, from Albuquerque, New Mexico, awaiting grandbaby number uno, Joe? Yes, number one, man. Number one is your elk hunting coaches, Joe Gillia and Leroy Chav Chavez. Welcome in, in the show tonight, guys. Hey, so hey, I got a question. Uh-huh. How, how, how do I go from the leader of the Venezuelan mafia to one of the leaders of the Venezuelan mafia to now a member 
of the Venezuela. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 mean, I just I don't get this. Y'all always having you know these coups and takeovers, man. You I like know, everybody guessing, you know, brother. But I just don't see Manano anywhere. He never logs in. He doesn't even listen to the podcast. What the <laughs> That's heck? I mean, exactly like, how yeah. leaders operate, bro. Man, exactly. they operate yeah. in the background. They have all of their streets. other okay. guys that are okay. underneath. I'm going to start operating that way then. Yeah. That's yeah. A good yeah. Idea. That's a, hey, and hey, at least yeah. we didn't. Uh, we didn't put you with the fishes, bro. You know. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nobody's I mean, swimming with the fishes tonight. So I just wonder what the next step is. I mean, if if from a member down. All right. Good. Good. I'll stay tuned for the next show. That's for sure. I had had a guy the other day that uh, asked me said you know what what is the deal with the venezuelan mafia and i was like if i told you i'd have to kill you so <laughs> everybody asked me hey man are those guys like the real deal i said you have no idea <laughs> and, I, and i can't really tell you uh, yep and uh so you and i'm gonna no let everybody idea. know like like gilbert said um Right now, uh, my daughter is actually in labor in the hospital here in Albuquerque. Um, we were getting texts from her. Unbelievable, man. I, I mean, I, you know, when my daughters were being born, the last thing I thought about was communicating with anybody, man. But yeah. my daughter, during her labor, was texting her mom and uh, <laughs> sending pictures and things like that. It's a whole different day, y'all. And yeah. uh, but about three o'clock, everything went dark. So, you know, we've, uh, her mom's worried and, you know, it's just, it's been a long time. We're going on five hours. We haven't had any words. So, um, during this podcast, uh, my wife has instructions that when she has word, she's not going to worry about the podcast. She's going to let us know and, and, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll handle it. However we handle it, man. Right. So just yeah. want to let everybody know out there. So talk about dedicated Commitment. man's having his first <laughs> grandbaby, and we are bringing you viewers the elk content that y'all need to be successful this year. That's what I call dedication, brother. Well, I appreciate um, y'all doing this actually, because otherwise I'm sitting around just frigging, freaking out and twiddling my <laughs> tongue. Hair out, tongue. So. <laughs> uh, I'm actually a little short fused tonight. I done I, I told Louise earlier, man. I'm just a I'm just a little bit on edge, man. So he's just uh, a half a bubble off a of plum. That's right. <laughs> Beto, so we need to we need to watch out for them bad jokes today, Beto. I know oh, man. man. I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave them keep all. It light. I'm gonna keep it light. We won't <laughs> And, oh, Beto unleashed here. And there, there's two things that I want to deal with before we get into the show. And one thing is, um, I know uh, a lot of you guys are always asking and sending and, and saying, man, you know, Chav, get better. And and uh, you see Chav here right beside me. Um, he's been here for, for a while. And, and, I mean, this guy's been going through a lot to get here. He, um, today, uh, we have a little gym, right? The, yeah. The, I mean, this guy gets up and he hits this gym every hour. Yeah, at least every hour. Yeah, yeah. or try to anyway. And just get some walking and stuff in. And uh, uh, today, man, we were like, "Come on, dude, let's do this." And he, from the gym um, to the kitchen area, you—it's kind of a ninety-degree turn, and it's probably, I don't know, probably twenty, twenty-five yards from there to the, you know, from from his parallel bars, his. Uh, physical therapy parallel bars where we've been training all the way into the kitchen table and it was dinner time and i said well dude let's go and uh uh 
man, free free walked it all the way, huh? Yeah, free is the the key word. (laughs) Yeah, that's fantastic. You'll be running us down here in September, buddy. Oh, we're talking about this. Like like I told y'all earlier, I'm going to go straight Nate Diaz when he does it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I won't talking about repeat this what Nate said, but I, 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 y'all know what he said. So, yeah. so totally yeah. appreciate all those. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, all those people yeah. doing that. And uh, the other thing. So here it is, y'all. It's been being asked for. Uh, of the two things that are being asked for, the first one is hitting, and uh, that's going to be our special grinders limited edition of the Elk Bros Camo. It uh, it is going to happen. You will uh, be seeing it on our website here directly. Uh, we'll be announcing it on. Instagram. I'll be sending it out uh, to our elk campers when that happens. It'll be a limited edition run. And what will happen is uh, you will have to order and pay for your camouflage. And then uh, we send the orders in, they get, they get printed and sewn and then shipped out to you prior to this elk season, man. So uh, that's going to happen. And we were going to be currently now we're doing a short sleeve shirt like this one that you're seeing right now and a long sleeve shirt. And the, what's the prices of those shirts, Luis? So for the short leave uh, sleeve, we're talking 32.50, And for the long sleeve is going to be 35.50. Thirty-five fifty, exactly, and and I can tell you what, man, I do not d- discriminate from large to small. It's all the same price, man. So, uh, you know, if you're a two X, three X, I want you out in the woods and elk bros camo, man. So, uh, we want you grinding away. And this is the first that we're doing. Our goal is to also, I mean, this is a dry fit material. This is uh, a, a material that's uh, a higher quality, and I mean, it will not fade. It's going to be with you. Real quiet. Uh, it's really quiet, and um, mine's got an athletic fit to it, but I have an athletic body. <laughs> 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 he says that in Lucy. <laughs> He's got that dad bod working, that grand dad bod working. Here we go. Pushing the limits of the truth about yeah. you. Hey. You know, it's like a great own, hunter. I, I am a man of my own mind, man. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's one, you know, oh, it's we'll going to be that. awesome, Joe. I, it's going to be awesome. My kids play in that fabric, and uh, I'm telling you, it's lasted them for years. It's going, it's going to be some really good stuff that'll last for a long time. And not I'm excited, really. man. I really want to wear that that Elbro camo. I can't oh. wait. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm I'm super stoked about it. So, mm-hmm. um, it's a dream come true. Uh, Gilbert Ornelas and Scott have been the guys behind this uh, and and making this happen. And uh, I, I tell you what, and we have some other works out there. Brother Zach Fisher has been working with me, and we're looking to do some other things that uh, we can get some so that I want these shirts in, in that price range in a cotton right around $25. So, mm-hmm. uh, and then we're going to even do some, uh, we're going to have all different levels of it, man. Whatever type of performance shirt, uh, we're working on the pants, right, Gilbert? We're looking at pants yes, as well. Uh, so guys, this is such an exciting time for us, man. You just don't know. I'm so happy I could friggin' pee all over myself. It's like, Joe. It's like elk season right now. Man. <laughs> hey Joe. So, Remind me uh-huh. and correct me if I'm wrong, but you started showing us your ideas about the camo and the 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 different perspective right. 
about over a year ago, slightly yeah, over a year, right about about a year ago. Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, and you were showing us how you were thinking how you wanted to blend in what's close and what's far, and just uh, I mean, you showed us the designs of what you were thinking about, and that absolutely watching man. that from there to these uh, these shirts being ready and done and ready to go it's pretty exciting a final product yeah what's yeah. cool is the technology that's available to replicate his thoughts yes. you know, it's it's pretty cool uh when joe laid it down and i took it over to my man scott hallmark uh he man i mean he hit it out of the park on the first just about the first run and uh so and i'm sure joe's going to refine it a little more with him yep. and stuff but as far as where logos are placed or what it's going to say or you know things like that but i mean you know scott's done a lot of work with me over the last four years uh five six years now uh time gets away joe uh, five <laughs> or six years he's been building our jerseys and he wanted in he was like man you know he's the big time hunter himself and he's like I want in and I, I want definitely want to be able to try and help you guys bring your camo out to the marketplace. And, well, you know, and the stuff and, that he's got is cool, man. He can all do it all sublime, you know. It's awesome. And, and I mean, for him to do what he does as far as printing and sewing for this price point for our guys, man, it's, it's phenomenal. I'm really excited about that. And, uh, and, and I'm planning on actually the size, the, the logo, uh, the Elk Row logo is going to go right there on the back of the neck and thinking about putting like the, the side runner right underneath that. So, um, like that, yeah, yeah. So Joe, can you talk a little bit about the giveaway that's going on? Um, so by the time people hear this, <clears throat> Gilbert giveaway is done, man. That's I'm, true. We're, that's we're right. doing this a week ahead. So, uh, right. but I will say this, I tell you the community, uh, the, the businesses and the, the, the communities, the, the, Pot, people that have their own podcasts, you know, you take a look at Western Contours, Backcountry Rookies um, uh, that, that, that jumped in, uh, the Where yeah. to Hunt podcast, and then we had, I mean, we had top of the line. We had Phelps calls, man. We had Mile High No Calls. We we have uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Calls. We've got, um, we, we've got the Ultimate Predator Decoy. We've got the yeah. um, Outdoor uh, uh, Knives, man, in uh, – uh, outdoor edge knives we've got my i was so pumped to have wasp archery come in and and throw in those havilon uh uh broadheads man that was just so so cool i'm telling you what if guys had um their their camo their bow and they had never hunted elk before but they had their regular deer hunting equipment and they got one of these packages man these packages could set them up I mean, no doubt. No everything doubt. they friggin' need. I mean, base map was uh, base map jumped in, and we're going to talk a lot more about base map in the upcoming uh, podcast here. But our people at base map jumped in and gave year subscriptions to throw in these packages with the um, the hunt. Uh, uh, app part of it attached to that so really you know that was even more value for that year so i mean for all these people and then you know trey kistler comes in with 250 my homeboy custom. my homeboy who's rode the river with us joe yeah oh, comes in God, with man. two custom with fishing rods two custom fishing rods valued at 250 dollars a piece bendable yeah. products saw our giveaway and, and and saw that it was the elk bros and they were like we want to put something in there man so <laughs> and and you know look 
if anybody, if you did not see our giveaway, it was a thank you. And, you know, people look at it and like, wow, they're saying this is free to do. There's got to be a catch. There was no frigging catch, man. We wanted no to thank all you guys for helping us reach our 100,000th download. And <laughs> uh, at the same time, you know, all we asked was for you to pledge. And our pledge was for you it, it was it was very basic and simple, man. Our, our pledge was for you to pledge to do a random act of a kindness, no matter how small, for you to go home, look your child or children in the eyes, and tell them you believe in them. To go out and look at a sunrise or a sunset, and for a moment, just take it all in. And we ask you not to ever follow the Elk Bros unless you believe in what we do and who we are. The only people we asked you to follow were those people and these incredibly generous people that businesses that put stuff in. So um, I, I, I know we got a lot of content to get through, um, but man, I tell you what, I just, I am... I am humbled and overwhelmed by the people. I mean, Freddie over at uh, at Game Changer man came in huge. I mean, everybody, everybody, uh, guys. Thank Joe, you when I when I that. read the pledge, I was so hard filled. Mm -hmm. uh, I was like, man, this is this is Joe for the world, right well, there. Guys, so Joe and Chad, everybody needs it, it Joe. Yeah, and uh, and I was just like, man, this is so cool. Uh, so no, I, I, it couldn't be better put out there, Joe. Sure. So thank you for doing that because it does make us all reflect a little bit on our day-to-day -day yeah, lives. I just, you know, in a, in a, in a society where we're at today, where we're so dis divisive and so un in, at unrest, if you just help your neighbor out and love your neighbor, man, things will be a lot better. Absolutely, you know? man. Amen, bro. Amen. Will, and it don't matter who it is, just help them. You know, uh, you know, we got to get back to that. This country was built on that. You know, we got to get back to helping one another. You know, and it's all a ripple effect. People don't realize it that. Man. You pay it forward. It starts just a with one. It starts, it starts with, with one, man. man. Like the pay fire. It forward. It, it yep. starts. It starts with one. Well, guys, y'all know what time it is. It's time for the Elk Pro Shoutouts. If you're new to our show, these are just shoutouts to a few cities with the most listeners topping our charts this And the shoutouts to those grinders giving us such great reviews. Get that Bob Jefferson out of South Dakota. That's right. And, and I, I believe he said, and I think, I hope I got that right. Those out South Dakota, man, I get writing some of this stuff down. And he said, buddy, if you're not listening to this podcast, you're doing it wrong. I love that. That was awesome. Man. Thank <laughs> he you, did, Bob, man. man. He was passionate about it. You yep. uh, Jeff Stroop out of Philly, Pennsylvania. Chris McKelvey, man, out of Santa Rosa. And the first time I saw Chris, I was like, Santa Rosa, New Mexico, man? It's like, uh -huh. you know. Yeah. 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 So, no, Santa Rosa, California. Matthew. And Matthew said he is from southern Missouri in the house. Said, <laughs> See there? Missouri. Southern Missouri in the house. He's from Ava, Missouri. And Jeff Barlow out of Price, Utah. And if you guys don't recognize that name, Jeff Barlow, you can find him uh, on Instagram as uh, Nimrod. You know, he's the uh, okay. Nimrod Outdoors out there. So uh, oh, I thank all you guys for, for your great reviews. And so let's get into the shout outs, man. Okay, this week's top listening city was established in the 1940s, where cattle ranches dominated the area until the 1920s. It is actually a neighborhood <clears throat> suburb right in the middle of Tucson and the Oro Valley, 
Residents love walking in the, in the Pima Canyon wash where the desert squirrels and plentiful birds make you feel like you're not really in a city at all. And after a hot day outside, Mr. Ams, is it Mr.? Yeah, yeah, Mr. Ams. Mr. Ams' happy hour is a go-to favorite for family and friends. A big elk shout out to Casas Adobes in Arizona. Casa Adobes, Arizona. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I've never been. All right. There, but, but I know Me where I'm either. going to happy hour if I do, man. Yeah, man. Going to Mr. Ann's. Yeah. <laughs> up next. Next one. Next one up. Founded by homesteaders in 1876. The settlement that began our next stop listening city took its name from the nearby creek. The fast-flowing Spearfish Creek carried fish that were speared by various Indian tribes uh, that occupied the region before white settlement. Famous for its beauty, nature, history, and adventure of the Black Hills, the Spearfish Canyon, Canyon was the location for several scenes in the epic Kevin Costner movie, Dances with Wolves. Spearfish, South Dakota. Man, I love that movie. That movie is one of the <laughs> best South Dakota's in the ever. house all over the place, huh, man? South yeah. Dakota in the house. Tatanka, right? Tatanka. 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 Yeah. Lobos. I watched it in Spanish for the first time when I was Oh, like, really? Yeah, Tatanka. How can you not remember all that? And I love Kevin Costner as an actor. Yeah. He's amazing. That was an incredible movie. <laughs> we'll we'll throw him a shout out because he's in a play in a in a show called Yellowstone now that I hear is pretty awesome. It, oh yeah, it is amazing. <laughs> is it good? Oh my gosh, you gotta you got if you haven't watched the first two two seasons, they, got they came up with they just started second season, right? They the started season. the third season. Oh, third, oh, okay. Yeah. There's there's awesome, two man. seasons out there. I'm a buyer, man. I'm the Huckleberry. Look, I'm telling you, it is off the chain good. It's one of my Very favorite cool. shows for sure. For sure. Well, up next, guys, uh, our next top listening city's name is an Ojibwe word meaning place where they watch. Keep a lookout. Uh, originally owned by the two daughters of a Sioux chief, it wasn't until they agreed to sell land to local farmers and landowners in the late 19th century that the city was born. Lucky today for Wisconsin football fans, if you're a Packers fan, the Green Bay Packers outdoor practice field and indoor facility, uh, the Don Hudson Center, are proudly located right here in Oshawabinon, Wisconsin. So, first of all, Wisconsin, thanks, man. I mean, there, we see Wisconsin plates all over the place in the mountains. Those guys are like dedicated hunters, number one. And But secondly, Gilbert, uh, man, I would have been like, I'd have gone through that name like, Ashwamanam. <laughs> I'd have just like. I, I ain't in. gonna lie, guys. I had to look it up. It says Ashwabenon. Ashwabenon. And I believe that is the name for the Sioux chief of the daughters that uh, that controlled that land. So you talk about powerful women in history. That mm. Sioux chief's daughters held onto that land when the American government was trying to purchase and and take land and. They, they weren't having it, man. They held control of it until they sold it. So, yeah, pretty cool, man. Ashwabanon is just really a, a suburb of Green Bay. 
Uh, oh, yeah. Sitting right there off of Lake Michigan. And uh, uh, it's a really, really old part of their town. So uh, pretty cool, pretty cool history for sure. Wisconsin in the house. Thanks, y'all. Next up, listening city's name is derived from a local Native American term meaning lone tree by the fishing place. And it's so cool, man. I, have you noticed how much of these Midwest and all these, uh, most of these places Indians. have the have the roots with the Native American names. I think that's just awesome, man. And originally referred to a specific tree along the river in the area of modern day Beacon Falls. Because of the area's rocky soil, it wasn't any good for farming, but the high potential for water power the Nagatuck Valley became an industrialized area in the 19th century known primarily for its rubber production and for manufacturing. And, and man, I think every vehicle seat was made <laughs> yeah, out of this. Nalgahide, right? Nalgahide, yeah. Nalgahide, a synthetic leather material. And this happened in Nagatuck, Connecticut. That's where Nalgahide came from. That's pretty Absolutely, cool, Joe. Man. Had no clue. I should have given this one to Luis, man. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. I'm I'm, I'm smiling back here because I'm like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, hey, it's not over yet. You're you're last up, bro, so we're not done yet. I know. And, uh, you know, it's uh, the best for last. So, originally called Elysian Grove Plantation and then Kane City. One of the coolest historical facts is that back in 1874, a local judge secured a charter to build a visionary and peculiar road. He built the first all-weather year-round turnpike in the south. He built a shed nine miles long with a highway under it. Known as the Shed Road, it was a huge success and the main line of transportation until the railroad lines took over. Bozier City, Louisiana. Louisiana. In the house. <laughs> yes, sir. All my, all my brothers to the east are in the house from Bozier you know, City. We you just, know, we just he, gave I, a shout out to, to Pollitt's over there in Louisiana, man, in Lafayette, right? right? Lafayette, Go ahead, Louise, right. what are you going to say? Well, no, I'm just saying that I had to practice that shed because, you know, it's easy for us uh, South Americans to mispronounce that, and it could have gone quickly unleashed here. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like beaches. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. <laughs> so did, did anybody grasp this that, you know, my wife accuses me of overbuilding things all the time, right? Yeah, and this guy, overkill, huh? This is 1874, and this guy built a shed nine miles, miles long, long to cover <laughs> the highway, man. That's a lot of timber. Holy of course, up in that country, they had it. I mean, you know, that Bossier area is part of East Texas, part of, you know, western Louisiana, northwestern Louisiana. I mean, it's... Uh, Bozier City's right on the Red River. But we're talking 1874. Can you imagine? I mean, we're not, I mean, these guys don't have heavy equipment. Unbelievable. I mean, think about what it took manpower wise to be able to do a road, first Mm -hmm. of all, road, and then to put a shed over that road for nine miles. (laughs) Let me tell you what, man. My hat is off. Tip of the hat from the Elk Bros in Bozier City. dedication to a project right oh, there my like, Lord, man, man. i would have been like done after the first mile let's screw this <laughs> all right let's get into it man let's talk about some milk content sounds good brother 
So last week, um, so the topic of tonight was we were talking about, we've been getting all these emails in and everybody, a lot of these questions were the same type of things, man. They were concerns that people have and they, we broke them down into three areas. And last week we talked about finding elk and this week, the big concerns were over calling elk, like the what, when, and why recommended calls, um, our philosophy and the knowledge of the hunting area, how, you know, what to expect, what they need to know, how to get that info. So we're going to try to talk about those two this evening, hoping to, to get that done. Um, but, and I can tell you, uh, I was just on a podcast with backcountry rookies and, uh, Chad, um, who, uh, who did the interview with me, uh, Chad Riker, he came out with this immediately, man. It was like, you know, his questions were about, um, I go to an area and I have no idea where the elk are. How do I go about finding them? And, you know, we talked a lot about that last week. And if we need to talk about that again, if we didn't answer it well, we'll hit it again, man. Uh, but if you get a chance, listen to that, to that interview with Chad as well, because we hit that. And then the other thing was on calling elk. You know, he, he was really like, I really, if I'm there, what calls do I start with? When do I start calling? I mean, he literally, you know, he, he asked me, Chad, he was like, you know, when should I, I mean, should I be a mile out of camp? Should I be a half mile out of camp? <laughs> you know, I mean, and really, you know, to me, these are things that we take for granted. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And, but you know, to so many guys are like, well, when do I start calling? You know? So, um, you know, that question about how far you need to be out of camp before right. you start calling, mm -hmm. how would you answer mm -hmm. that? Start calling right away. <laughs> right away. <laughs> right away. It could uh, be next door. Yeah. Thing. That could be behind the first set of trees you see or behind mm -hmm. a ridge, you know, close by to camp. Because sometimes during the during the course of the day they'll even run run right by camp, you know. So you, you got to be ready, right off the bat, you know. I'm telling you, being the old big boy from Canada, Steve Tucker, where we call Gamage, and we shut the the mule down, stepped out of the mule. I strapped my backpack on. Steve strapped his on. Carl grabbed the smoke pole. We were we were actually were uh, using the muzzle loader, and Carl looked at me and he goes go ahead and make a cow call. So I cow called and I'm telling you, I thought the bull was going to run us over Joe. <laughs> right. I mean, he was literally right behind the mule in some jack pines. I mean, it, it, Steve, Steve Tucker to this day feels like he thought we had planted a speaker over there and made it come on. So everything would be cool. He just didn't think it was real. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. you get off the bike and I mean, less than 60 yards from this bull right. just erupts, you know? So yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah you, you, you never know. Camp, if you, you hunt out of camp, man, you start calling. Yeah. You never really know, you know, where they're at. I remember when, uh, year Joe and I drove, uh, Oh, was, was it morning or afternoon? It was the afternoon. I want to say yeah. afternoon. We yeah. drove our, our – we had a Nissan 4x4. We called Blackie. <laughs> and uh, it was an old Nissan, 1987 yeah, model, was, I believe. Yeah, it was, it was. Anyway, we we parked, and we just slammed the door. And it made a creaking noise when we slammed the door, like, Ergh! 
And all of a sudden, a bull bugles off, you know, about 100 yards away. <laughs> I mean, he did just bugle. This was a challenge. I mean, yeah. he just, like, went berserk on us. And we man. had just rumbled our way to that spot before we parked, so we made a lot of noise. Yeah, well, we actually, so all transparency, we were a little off-road lost. <laughs> so <laughs> we got out just to see where we were, and I slammed the the truck door because i was all pissed and and man we get a bull screaming at us yeah. right away and uh in fact gilbert not very far from where you killed your bull um yeah. that year with tucker just below there yeah just right below that so uh no and the thing that i tell people is uh, you know we as humans have this thing that we're like well elk um, should not be in this area because number I've camped there or I just got done driving. So they're going to hear the vehicle and they're not going to answer. And, you know, look, you know, I like to, once I get off an ATV because I'll drive to an area and then we'll start from there. That's how we get to a certain zone and then start on foot. I like to just sit down and listen for a while because I love to hear the woods wake up, but, uh, and, and just let things get quiet, relax. It, but man, I'm telling you, man, just because <laughs> you have a camp there, don't think that elk are not around that camp. In fact, we've heard them come by our camp bugling at night, you know, they, they you work did. right by us. So what I tell a lot of oh, people last, last year, uh, not last year, Two years ago, mm -hmm. uh, Manano and I decided to go hunt on foot out of camp, and right. we left uh, just the first light. I think you guys got on the bikes and went hunting, and then we stayed at camp and just walked out of camp. Right. We hadn't walked 100 yards to the north mm -hmm. of camp, mm -hmm. and we saw elk. Uh, there were cows crossing the road and they were walking in towards camp and they walked right <laughs> behind camp. Right. And so, I mean, it just, yeah. No, it, it, that's, that's a huge point. And one thing that I tell people too, when you get up in the morning in your camp, don't go banging stuff, man, and start getting all loud and everything because, you know, we've even been out hunting all day. We get back, we're, we're walking into camp and I don't know why I do it, but I just, I, I always crank off a bugle and we have one respond right there, man, out of camp. We'll go out and we had an opportunity just like that. So, you know, uh, I, uh, guys understand that um, elk are where they are and people think that they just disappear when they catch a human scent or they hear a bike or, and when I say bike, I mean like an ATV or UTV, something like that, or a truck. And they don't, especially again, you always hear me talk about high use areas. All right. And they get used to that and they're very intelligent. They are adaptable critters. They really are. So if you're in a place and they choose to come near you, even though they, they smell you, they, they smell it from a far distance. They don't see it as a threat and they will go by it or the wind's just right that they haven't smelt it until they get close to it. So that's just something for you to think about right there. Okay. So right away. And one thing I tell people is they're like, well, okay, so how do you go about calling? Uh, I, I'm going to tell you my technique. And here's what I do. When I start calling, I always start with cow calls. And you'll hear a lot of people that say that they don't cow call. They don't cow call early season. They don't think it's effective. Uh, they, you know, they don't do as much cow calling. I always cow call first. I don't care if it's early season, late season. It's going to be the same strategy. Early season, 
I can actually do it just a little longer, a little deeper. Sounds like a bow call and not a cow. That's a bull mew, okay? And bulls will communicate with each other, and they will come in to check each other out early season. So I always start, start with that because it can either be perceived by those animals as a bull or as a cow, all right? And the way I do that is I always, when I start calling, I check my zone near to far. So when I first cow call, I'm just using my reed in my mouth close up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's usually three cow calls. Um, I'll throw them in different directions, one a little short, one a little longer, just add some variety to it. And I will check. That gives me a chance to listen. Do I get a response early on anywhere close? And response can be a number amount of things. And guys, the first thing I tell people is don't always think a response is a bugle. There's all kinds of responses out there. There's a response that you can get from a cow that responds back to you, a bull that mews back to you, that you get a bull that bugles back to you. You get a bull that starts raking a tree or grunts or chuckles, okay, or just comes in silent and you hear them coming into you. So we've heard all of those things mm -hmm. when they're out there. All of those are responses. Now, if I don't get a response near, then what I do is I now stick with the cow call and I will go through my grunt tube and I will throw it in different directions. The wind is in my face because, uh, or it's parallel to me. I would rather when I don't know where animals are, my strategy is to go, uh, not parallel, I'm sorry, perpendicular to the wind. I want to crosswind. Okay, and the reason I want to crosswind is as I move through areas and I have areas below me, if the wind's coming there, then those animals that could possibly be moving through there, I'm going to catch your scent. If I catch your scent, dude, I'm on it, right? That tells me something right there. Now, as I'm moving perpendicular to that, I can smell from one side, I can see forward and off to the other side before my scent hits it. So that gives me a little bit of an advantage. That's how I work it. There's a big tip for you. Now, if I don't get a response after throwing it through my grunt tube, now I'm going to throw out a location bugle. And that location bugle is going to be just because it's a near to far, I'm going to throw a decent one out. I'm going to throw out a three toner. <laughs> You know, just I'm not going. And guys, a lot of you guys, when you throw out location bugles, you take way too long to get to the high pitch. And it's not, man. Yeah. <laughs> Luis raising his hand back there. Man, it's just like, <laughs> you hear how quick I got there? <laughs> All right. It does not take a long time. And you just get up to it. When you come back down with the, with your voice, you can do that when you're doing the near to far. Now, if I don't get a response to that location bugle, screw anything. I'm just going straight to my high pitch and I am I am broadcasting all the way from Toledo, Ohio, back mm -hmm. around to California, man. And I'm just mm -hmm. sending a high pitch because that's all they're going to hear out there. It's pretty cool, so, Joe. The, the other qu a quick question, I'm sorry to interrupt, but no, go ahead, man. you know, I, I would have thought that uh, um, uh, a longer bugle to get to the high note, mm -hmm. uh, because it's slower, it would kind of show a more mild bugle, more of a location type bugle. And no. maybe that's a misconception I have. If I go straight to the high pitch really quick, uh -huh. uh, and I'm thinking if that bull is relatively close, would that bull interpret that bugle as 
as a location bugle? If I go quick, would it be more aggressive? Would so, that have anything to do with the feeling of the bugle if you go to so it? What makes a, what makes a, a, a bugle aggressive is um, the inflection you add to it and and uh the, the graspiness uh, of it yeah, the raspiness and the velocity the of it now when i yeah. when i am going up to that tone i'm going up to a high pitch but it's it's a pretty pitch it's it's right. it's a relaxed pitch right it's Got not it. mm -hmm. and actually the shorter that you get into it now when i say shorter i mean that when that bugle's only two to three seconds and you scream that real quick, that's an aggressive bugle. A uh, five to six second where you just get up to that tone and you just let that tone send, man, uh, that is just a location or advertising bugle. It's okay. about it's about the the length of that bugle. When you do a roundup bugle, a roundup bugle is only like a second and a half, two seconds. You know, uh, a mm. challenge bugle is only that two, three second screaming uh, right okay uh, so so yeah the, the length of it may have to do a little bit with what it's what the message is then but, well, if you, but when you start doing uh, yeah but when you start doing you know it's not natural man they don't do that you know yeah. they they, they, they just you know they just don't do that man they they're going from a they're bringing it from their belly and just getting it out from their diaphragm man so you get that most time it's no more than three seconds I, I wish know. I had my calls with me so I could do that, but I'm in Albuquerque, y'all, man. We're yeah. we're doing this, but ninety ninety percent of the time, a bull won't be longer than three to four seconds, man. No, you know, yeah. those longer ones, like you said, are those location yeah. ones. You know? And and really, no, that, awesome. those are only about four seconds long, man. Yeah. Mine are gonna be longer because I want that tone to ring out for a long time. I'm giving for them a America. chance to hear it, right? Broadcasting, so, yeah. Yeah, I'm just broadcasting, man. So that's. One of the ways I kind of can tell whether it's a hunter or not when you're hunting public land, you get an eight to ten second bugle. You know that I've never heard a bull go that long. Yeah. yeah. Now, but I have heard some guys, you know, belt a bugle out that long and then, you know, got some got some fringe on the end of it. But but we've heard some pretty musical. Yeah. Oh, there's some yes. beautiful bugles. I have. Mm -hmm. where, where you hear all three right. tones. And Melodious. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and you two you, years ago in our in our other camp there at night they were going off every night and it was very harmonic you right, know it right. just sounded very beautiful but mm -hmm. but it's still not this one second one tone one second another right. tone one, it's not like that man it just it just right, flows right. right up into yeah. it okay I agree oh <laughs> what was I, that <laughs> I'm like get your bug get your bug. <laughs> <laughs> get the, that's all on point, Joe. What's that? That's all on point. You got the coyotes outside or what, like, Joe? What is going on, man? Well, I heard cheering in the other room, and I, they're, oh. you know, I'm I'm on edge right now about the the granddaughter, man. So, uh, you know, it, it's uh, when I hear the cheering, and they're in there cheering for a puzzle. I know, otherwise, she'd have busted through that door right there. So, <laughs> yeah, I was going to go check on things for me. All good. Um, but when when you the other thing I want to tell people too another point you know what when why and recommended calls and our philosophy my philosophy like I've taught both of you guys and and I've taught Chav is that you know you're a lover before a fighter right Always. so that's going to be uh, cow calls um, that are going to happen um, and by doing 
by doing the lover before a fighter, it lets me build into other scenarios. If, if I introduce a cow and then now I bring in a bull that is starting to display or that is uh, starting to, to rake and doing those different things, now I can actually create a scenario because that cow has been introduced. And it's like a bull that is coming in to pick up that cow. So I'm always a level four fighter, man. I mean, you're going and, to catch to, to the To the point of building on that you mentioned, you, you've talked about this before, and I love that concept because when you, when you start as a lover, it gives you room to, you know, kind of sense the situation. You put feelers out there and how the thing is going to really escalate. And right. you may end up, you have the room to actually build up to a fighter if you right. need to in order to get that bull's attention. But if you start out as a fighter, you don't have the option to come back as a lover to bring that bull back. If that, if, if, you know, if whoever you're trying to bring is not in the fighting mood, they're going to flee. And, oh, and yeah. you've said that before. And I love that concept. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, uh, again, you know, when you walk into a bar, man, um, and, you know, uh, what's going to attract the, the guy come to him is going to be the sweet talk. And, sure. you know, when I have another guy start talking to the girl, then I might get a little bit upset and warn him off. But then I'm going to turn my focus back to the girl. And that's going to tick off the guy that's trying to, you know, communicate. <laughs> so, it, you know, the thing is, is if you follow that and you, you always handle that, like you said, you can always escalate. And I mm-hmm. like to escalate once I get a bull worked up. I don't want to... Right. You know, that's the problem with guys, man. Um, I I bet girls are a lot better out in the woods um, calling out because they got a whole lot more patience than we do. We're like, we get there, man, and and we get a bull to respond to us. (laughs) And immediately we're like, wow. I mean, we're like, (laughs) you know, we're like, come on, let's fight, bro. Let's fight. And, and, you know, because we want that bull to come in, you know, it's throwing snot wide eyed and everything. And, uh, and it, it doesn't always happen that way, man. If they are not in that mode or, you know, you can actually do exactly what a bull's trying to do. You could intimidate and scare that guy away, you know? Yeah. So, uh, that's your, not your goal. Your goal is, you know, is to kill that booger. So, uh, that's one yeah, thing I, for you I, to think about. I think too, Joe, depends on which bull you're hunting too. If you're hunting a big herd bull and he's got a ton of cows with him. Mm-hmm. Now I'm really talking to his cows. Absolutely. Talking- Gilbert. Not so much talking to him, but I'm right. talking to his cows because I want them to come to me. Yes, and uh, if, if the cows will come to me and I can get between him and the cows, it's a done deal. That's uh, the biggest mistake. You hit the nail on the head, Gilbert, man, yeah. is the biggest mistake guys make when they have a herd bull is they challenge the herd bull. Well, he's that. had challengers for how many days, man? <laughs> yeah. he just <laughs> He's going to round them up and head up. As yeah. high as he can go, get away from everybody. And, and that's all he's going to do. But you start talking to his ladies, you start displaying yeah. for them, you try to pull them to you. Here's the mistake I think everybody makes is even preseason, man. We got guys out there with game cameras right now that they're looking for bulls out there. Where are the bulls at in the summer? Well, you might find where they're at in August but that is not where they're going to be in September. What you should be trying to get on your game camera, and I know it's not as hot and and cool and everybody's not (laughs) going to look at it, but you need to find where those cows are because where those cows are is where those bulls are going to be. And everybody thinks that the bull is running the show. And if you haven't heard us before and you don't know it by now, man, 
Uh, it is not the bulls that run the show. Uh, and all I'm going to ask you guys, man, how many of you guys really think you're running the show in your house, man? If you do, you're fooling yourself. Huh? Yeah, so, you're just lying to yourself. You're just lying to yourself. <laughs> hey, everybody knows happy wife, happy life. Absolutely. My nana's man. the only one that thinks that, that way. <laughs> oh, oh, man. So, it, it's, Joe, it's, you know, I, I, for me, too, is <clears> – <throat> I'm not necessarily hunting a, uh, you know, I think guys need to tailor this to what type of bull they're hunting. Cause I'm not always hunting a herd bull. If I happen onto one. Okay, great. I know right. how to, I know how to make that happen, but I'm looking for a bull that's going to play ball. I don't give a dang if he's a five by a four by a spike. I mean, it really doesn't matter to me. I like to eat elk meat. Not every cow that was yeah, willing to come <laughs> Uh, not everybody's going to be that way. Right. Right. So I think you need to understand when you're calling to satellite bulls, it's a little bit different than when you're dealing with a herd bull. So, um, but at the end of the day, you, you hit it right on the head is you got to be a lover before you be a fighter. And there's a time to be a fighter, but boy, it's, you know, you run the risk of really damaging uh, making that guy bug out before you ever get started. Well, right? that that's where, and, and there's a lot of guys that that's their philosophy. Um, their philosophy is, is, to, is to scream challenges till they find that bull that wants to play. Um, but for You might have to go us, through a bunch of them. Yeah, but for us, man, I mean, we're, you know, that's that one bull out of ten. And yeah. we want opportunities after the other nine. So mm-hmm. um, that's what we're doing. And I think another point that we need to make is that um, a lot of people associate with what I say calling aggressively uh, as being uh, challenging and and wanting to fight. And I want you guys to understand calling aggressively and challenging are two different things. You you follow me with that? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah we, we I think you've brought that up in the last couple of podcasts. Yes. Um, you know, very clear. Aggressively, it's about your stance on how you want to pursue that communication versus not trying to be intimidating to the animal through the calls. Absolutely. It's so. more about frequency. It's more about use. It's more about. Um, uh, you know, always staying involved, trying to make something happen. That That's what that's about. So uh, a lot of people, when I say aggressive, they associate that with me screaming at an animal, me being, you know, uh, challenging and, and, and just really punching out there. And, and that's not what it is. So I want people to understand that there's a difference between being a, an aggressive caller and challenging a bull, engaging a bull. Most of the time, we are not engaging a bull unless that bull is in the mode to be engaged. That right. changes the game. And you will know mm-hmm. you will know that by how quick they close the distance and what kind and the way that they are calling and challenging back at you. Mm-hmm. All right. And I also tell people like, you know, to help yourself out, if you don't have any idea again about how fast and how hard to go, <clears throat> mimic mimic what that bull is doing. All right. That's uh, right. That'll find, man. A lot of times that'll infuriate them. Yeah, you step like on that. them, do what he's doing. Ooh, ooh, they don't like that. <laughs> but Joe's right. Like you gotta find them. Mm, Joe's right. You gotta find out what pushes their button. You know, and 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 when you figure it out, you could zone right in on it. Okay. 
Um, Gilbert, uh, my wife's here with a little bit of information. You guys um, keep going for me there um, on, on the points. I'll be right back. Cool. Well, uh, as we as we go through this, hopefully we got a grandbaby on the way and uh, everything's good and the news is good. Um, anyhow, uh, you know, Luis, I can harken back several different times that we've hunted with Joe and with Chav as well. Uh, Chav's always led me into being a softer caller at first. And then once we get a bull fired up, we, uh, you know, we start stepping on him, you know. So what Joe was talking about was listening to the way the bull projects back to you, you know, mm -hmm. and the more frequency that he projects back to you. Yeah. I, I, you know, harking back to Chav and I crawling that peak one time and having those two bulls, <laughs> the two herds meet. And yeah. <clears throat> I'm telling you, Every it was epic. It was. Every time I would cow call, this bull would just, I mean, come unglued. <laughs> and I would challenge him, and oh, my gosh, it was like the, the Red Sea was going apart. You know? <laughs> and, and then another bull below us started going off, so it was really the perfect storm. But had I not listened to Chav and, you know, when he said, hey, you know, get right back at him when he bugles, you know, oh, my gosh, it was – it was epic. I learned really quick how to how to discern how a bull was talking to me mm -hmm. just because of the experiences I've had. Right. But you know, a lot of our listeners haven't had that experience. Right. So, you know, for it, them, for them, I mean, you've you've been in, in just a new collar as well. So uh I'm sure that the first time a bull has sounded off to you and talked to you, you're like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. He <laughs> was like, what do I do now? Yeah. I was like, what do yeah. you say? I mean, it's like speaking Spanish and English. You yeah. know, the first time yeah. you figure it out, you're like, wow, that was pretty yeah. cool, you know? So yeah. you want to speak the language. Yeah, that, that roadmap, man, I think that the way he's laid it out with the first initial points, it's like, hey, look, you know, uh, you want to start broadcasting in a radius from close to far away. Start with a cow call and then just start broadcasting towards the end. Um, that gives you a very good segue into, okay, uh, now when you do hear a response and if you do hear a response, then, okay, what do you do? So mimicking is if you're starting out, probably your best go-to option at that point. And also, uh, you know, understanding that aggressiveness is not just being aggressive on the call. It's just being aggressive yeah. in trying to make a lot of calls. The other points that he's got listed is that, Hey, you know, we can not, hearing a bugle in return doesn't necessarily mean that we're not getting a response out of our calls. Right. And that goes together with the next one, which is like, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not bugling or that they're not interacting. It means that we may not be hearing them. They may be coming in sightling, but they also may be just wrecking tree or just approaching. So, it's always so important to Listen. when you're actually broadcasting, you're listening, you're quiet. You, and that's one of the things, look, Ed, when, when we were with Joe, one of the first things he told us was, hey, guys, listen, here's some ground rules. When I make some cow calls and I'm not walking and I stand up and I make a bugle, it's time for everybody just to stay still, not move. And we're just going to be quiet and we're going to listen. Yeah, don't be uh, digging in your pack and making exactly. all kinds it's of racket. It's not the time to be searching to grab some water and making that noise with the bottle or anything like that because yeah. you're missing the point of, you know, he's grabbing, trying to yeah, reach grabbing out. Grabbing your M&Ms. 
<laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. I've, also, I've also noticed sometimes with uh, Joe will chuckle, you know, when yes. they're not bugling, and uh, yes. you'll get a return chuckle, and it works the same way with the, the bugle. Imitate that chuckle, and it seems like they really hate that. You know, and we've had bulls come in angry because because they're you know because Joe was mimicking their chuckles, so and that so, works too. Sometimes I yeah. found that some of those bulls, for some reason, when they're not really lit up, they uh, yeah. they will chuckle before they will bugle. So a lot of times going out there, sometimes um, when I get that feeling that that's happening, I won't bugle. I will just chuckle. I'll just throw a chuckle out there. And because a chuckle is not an aggressive bull sound, um, when you grunt, when you growl, that's that's yeah, more good. demanding, but a chuckle mm-hmm. when you get that. <laughs> that's it's not a. The first time, the first time I heard that, I was like, "There's no way that's a bull, Joe. That sounds like a freaking monkey." And Joe's eyes <laughs> went this big. I was like, "That's a bull. Get ready!" And yeah. I was like, "Why are you serious?" I was like, "Yeah, get ready." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, "Wow, that's that was crazy." Yeah, I, yeah. I never. It's been a couple years back when I killed a bull. Uh, the next day, I forgot my hat. Me and Chav went back up there. Uh, all we had was a – it's when we had the bear encounter, too. But all we had was a, a grunt tube with us. And we found, I don't know, seven or eight bulls and a bunch of cows and spikes and stuff like that. And I actually – it probably was at least 20 minutes that we got into a chuckle off with three different bulls. And I mean, he'd chuckle, we'd chuckle, he'd, and man, he was oh, incensing so cool. them. I mean, he'd stomp around there, man. It's like, where is that son of a gun? You know, he'd yeah. chuckle, I'd chuckle. The <laughs> cows all came to, towards us too. The cows were all moving. And that's what I'm talking about. If we'd want to kill one of those bulls, it was slam dunk. I mean, yeah, it was right. easy because we had the cows coming to us, didn't we, Chad? Yeah. Yeah, And, you know, the, the thing, the point you guys should get from this is that, you know, it's not always, there's not always a particular silver bullet, man. There's not something that no always lights them up. You know, you'll find that different parts of the season and different animals will respond to different things. So, you know, don't think that just because you give out a bugle and you don't get nothing, that there's that there's nothing happening. It might take a cow call. It might take a chuckle. You know, it might just take raking, man, and to have something respond to you. So, you know, um, you have to find what pushes the button at that time. And, yeah. and it's just ex- exploring and enjoying yourself while you're out there experimenting with that different stuff, man. So we better, um, we're at, uh, we're at about, we're about 56 minutes in right now. So let's head to knowledge of the hunting area and let's talk about that. Got because, one other thing. Yeah. Go uh, ahead, Joe, Luis mentioned it just now. And it's that, <laughs> Man, it, in the early season, I think this thing really plays big dividends. It did for us this past season, and it's using that lost cow call, especially early season, man. Uh, I don't know what it was, but every time we do it, it blew those bulls' minds, and they would travel long and far distances to come and find that cow that's lost. And, and I really I think, think it had to do with the scenario that was around it at the time as well. But it almost worked effectively on every scenario that we had. So right. I think it was time of the year, uh, no doubt. And I think early, if you're if you guys are out there hunting that early season, don't don't uh, don't forget to you know try that, give it a shot. 
you know, and I think it ties perfectly with this uh, no silver bullet. Comment, yeah. Right. I mean, because yeah, yeah. we just, you know, you, you got to keep trying until you find something that works. And I guarantee you, never, you I'm, I got it in my hip pocket. Yeah. If, if you've never heard the lost cow call, I, in it, to me, it compares a lot with a, a predator call. Uh, it's mm. almost like a wee, wee. It's, a, it's really high pitched. It's long, you know. And, yeah. 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 It just yeah. really goes it's out, awesome. man. So, um, you know, it, it's just something to have in there. So yep. let's head to knowledge of the hunting area because guys are concerned about that. And um, yeah, they're like, you know, what to expect? How, you know, what do they need to know? How can they get info on the area? And there's going to be two ways you can get info, man. Oh, actually, well, there's multiple ways. But the, the best ways are when you, when you do your e-scouting and communicating with other people about areas, either you're dealing with biologists or you're going to game and fish and, and you're finding finding out um, like the numbers like in New Mexico, if you find out the numbers of tags given to certain ranches, those ranches are given a certain number of tags because of the amount of elk that are in the area. If you're seeing yeah. large acreage with limited elk tags, that kind of tells you something right there. If you're seeing yeah. smaller acreages than some of the other ones that are giving a lot of tags out to those landowners, then then that kind of tells you a message right there. Um, now, that's just New Mexico, but looking at other states, man, uh, you know, especially Colorado, they do all kinds of stuff through their Division of Wildlife that you can get information. I mean, they even show you elk migration routes in their state, which is, I, I don't think a lot of people pay attention to that. And that's huge because that route is showing you what they're doing from summer to winter, man. And, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, that, that's really, really huge there. Uh, so that kind of information or actually getting boots on the ground to get information. And, you know, I, I just I had some points here that I want to throw out real quick is that point number one, guys, is I, I want you to understand something that when you e-scout and, and when I talk about e-scouting, the things that you want to find out about your hunting area is not only like looking for food possibilities um, and, or looking, and it's hard to tell the food from e-scouting, man, other than you can find open parks and areas that are down low that are near water. And if you have that, it's going to have some decent food down in the bottom of those drainages. But, you, you know, when you look for your water sources and when you look for um, those uh, bedding areas that are the thick timber areas, generally on the north facing, northeast facing uh, areas. So when you look at that and you try to find that trifecta and you circle that, you know, like when we were talking about finding elk, you know, not only do you want to find that, but I'm telling you what's key is zoom in, get your base map app, get that high res map on that, zoom in, and buddy, Joe, you can see um, old uh, logging roads, you can see trails, you can see old two track, and what I would do is, if I were you is I would take my line tool, I would give that a specific color, and I would mark every one of those two tracks every one of those trails, I would give it a name, whether it's a two-track, whether it's a trail, um, whether it's a, an old logging road, I would, I would label those and have them. And yep. I would know, I did that last year. Yeah. 
I, I would know every road in the area of the hunting area, every trail that I can mark in there, because when you do that, it gives you key. If it's an accessible road, like an ATV trail, I would put those on a certain color. If it is a, a, a dirt road that is access to an yeah, area. Make the map, they made the map and the colors and the legend work for you, Joe. I, I agree 100%. There is a place where we hunt uh, public land here for pigs. I love going there. It's huge. It's over 3,000 acres. Right. And it's super complex because it's very thick. And it's, it's a lot of water runs through it. And so there is creeks and rivers and, well, not really, it's not really rivers, but, I mean, they're, they're big, big creeks and, and it's got canyons. And the place is pretty non-friendly. And so – doing the east scouting like you're mentioning right now has been extremely critical for me and guys that i've met out there in the public land they asked me it's like well you know i don't know how to get i was like i pull up my maps on my phone and i'm like man this is there's a creek here i know you can't go through here there's a passage here and and most of that stuff i've been able to do the east scouting and then right. boots on the ground and matching the two and i was like yeah one day i remember i was looking for a junction of where three river or three creek lines met and i was i called it the junction like you said and i started walking to that point one day i said i want to get to that point to confirm that that's actually a junction of those three creeks and there was actually four merging at that point when i actually got there boots on the ground so you know it's 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 yeah, that's it's invaluable. What and, you're saying is what I like to do is when I like I'll mark trails. Um, I'll my I'll, I'll mark those um uh, uh timber cut roads and stuff like that in one color, and then I'll mark the ones that are accessible that people can use with a motorized vehicle and a different one. And the reason I do that is in order for me to find a honey hole, I want to find if I'm in an area like that, I want to find an area that has at least two miles to the center between two access points, if possible, right? right? And because, you know, I'm not looking for something four miles, five miles, six miles. All I'm looking for is a hole between accessible areas that is about two miles off of those roads. I'm telling you, you go 800 yards off that road, you never hear any vehicles on them. You go a mile in off that, they're not going to see most people because most people mm -hmm. do not hunt gutsy, right? And, <laughs> exactly. And, and and that's one thing that I, you know, we were always in our camp. We all used Onyx, right? And yeah, we did. You know, when you have Onyx, so that when Love you it. have data, the maps would be very very detailed. When you had data, um, mm. they would be a little slow, or you couldn't get it in certain places. But the problem I had is when I started downloading mm. my offline maps, I couldn't get the detail that I got from those, and so. Um, a month ago, I switched to uh, base maps, there, and one of the main reasons is, is because their downloadable map, uh, I can control the amount of detail, how big I want the map to be, depending on my memory on my phone. But, buddy, uh, Budro, I can go in, and I can see doggone, you know, I can see a lot. Yeah, I, I downloaded two gigs worth of map. I mean, yes. it's big, you know. Yes. So they, they, it's a big they, file. The download has a lot of detail because of yes. the size of it, for because sure. Yeah. Right. It took a while me, for me to download my stuff. Too. That's exactly, I Worth want it. to see exactly where I'm at and be able to see those trails mm -hmm. down inside there because it tells me something, right? So, yeah. um, 
the, that's one thing that I would I would tell you guys is when you are doing that kind of e-scouting, if you really want to know the knowledge of your area, know any and every way to get in there. And, and when you know how other people are getting in there, you can find those little honey holes in there, okay? Um, and that's real good. I, yeah, I'm the same way. I'm giving it a shot, Joe. I'm kind of like, you know, learning the system now has got – it's got a lot of different tools in there. It's got Man, it's, uh, it's complex. It's, it's, it's got it's, a lot of maps and does. and and if you're concerned about you know getting all your data moved over from from one you know one on next to base maps, it's extremely simple. Yeah. Uh, really, you you export everything in one file on your desktop, and then from base map you import everything from that one same oh, file, yeah. and everything That's goes there. in there. Absolutely. So do, can you do it on your phone or do you got to do it off your computer? I didn't try on my phone, Beto. I did do it on the desktop and it was super simple. Were yeah. your phone plugged in? No, no. you don't need to. No. You just anything, need to go into your account. Anything that you import into your uh, uh, desktop the app goes automatically, automatically into your phone. Oh, goes phone. all the way to your yeah. to your Yeah, yeah it's, life, okay. it's life syncing. Okay. So yeah. Whatever yeah. you do on your phone, you'll find on your desktop, and whatever you do on See, your See, I've desktop, just been working with it on my phone. I haven't turned it on on my computer. so I, And I, you don't have to. You just log into their page, and your data is there. There you That's go. Cool. And now another point, a major point that I want to give everybody though too is a lot of times when you're looking, you look at the topo. We look at the topo all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Especially mm -hmm. when we're trying to find benches or areas to go through. But I'm going to tell you this, and here's a point, guys. Understand when you, if you have not had boots on the ground, when you get there, that is going, that country is going to be bigger and steeper, and steeper. than you thought. <laughs> all right. No doubt. <laughs> so believe I, me. Yeah, and, and don't let it intimidate you, man. I mean, you're going to get out there and you're going to look around and go, oh, my God. If you've done your work ahead of time you and you have a plan, don't let it intimidate you. Just get that uh, – you have that offline map on there. Mark where you're at and get off the trail. Start hunting yeah. your, your parallel, doing – you know, get through your ridges, find your drainages, work that, and use your nose, use your eyes, use your ears, and you will find those animals. If you don't find them in a day and a half, get the heck out of Dodge and go find another area. Okay? Man, I, I did I did so much of that last last year, or yeah, last year. Um, but, you know, when I was hunting by myself, I, I just <clears throat> went through random, you know, places and I say, well, I'm just going to walk in that direction trying to, you know, find my way here and there. And I was like, man, I got through some, some nasty stuff, but I was like, okay, I can eventually get through this and then I'll get on the other side of it. And then, and get, talk about getting to know the area way better oh, yeah. and understanding oh, yeah. it way better when you're actually the one walking right. in front and not following somebody. Right. Whew, that was like this, the, the learning curve for me on the, at least knowledge of the hunting area it was just exponential that year now um an uh, another point i want to go to is and we've talked about now we did not go into how to e-scout that would be a whole podcast right. itself. No but doubt. we talked about some major points of some things that you guys can do with that but the other thing i talked about in the two ways is is also to get boots on the ground and it's real critical to know what to look for if you get to go out there early ahead of time. So if, if we go out in August, Chab, and we're doing some scouting, we looking for bulls? No, not really. Uh, you know, we're looking for the food sources and, and trails and, uh, you know, any fresh droppings. That way we know they're in that area. Uh, 
Though we run into a lot of bulls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in, in our area, we've run into some there. Yeah. But, but uh, I, I tell you, I like it a whole lot better when we find cows, right? Right. And, and, and that's the tracks you guys are looking for, man. Um, if, if you're seeing, and it's hard to tell at that time because, you know, people say, well, if you're looking for a herd of cows, look for a lot of track. Well, remember, these guys are bachelor running too, and they're in groups yeah. of 9, 10, 13. So it can be a lot mm -hmm. too. There's a difference in the size of the track between a bull and a cow. There's a big difference, you right? Bet. Unless it's a you young bet. bull. And uh, you can tell just by those sizes. If, uh, if you haven't done that, uh, and been able to tell what I want you to do is when you're out and you've got uh, boots on the ground, take your hand, man, take your hand and put it on top of that track because I'm telling you a bull track will be wider than your hand. If I was to take all this and I was to put my hand down this part of it, right inside there, down in that bull track will be larger than that right there. Where a cow track would probably be this it, right about inside. here. Okay, but that bull track is going to be bigger. All right, yeah. um, so that that gives you a little bit of a tip there on that. But absolutely, when we go scout, we are not looking for elk. We're looking for sign. Yeah, Chav hit it on the head. Chav hit it right on the head. We're looking for food source. They all slaves to their bellies. Right, and cows. Yep, yep. absolutely. And if you find old rubs, now here's the thing. When guys, uh, we get a lot of guys say, well, I found a whole bunch of rubs. I found like uh, on these large trees, there must have been 30 or 40 up on top of this hillside. And he said, you know, they were in dark areas and so In fact, we're going to talk about that here in a few minutes. There's a difference between rubs. And we're going to talk about that uh, hopefully in our mailbox coming up here. Uh, yeah. But there's a difference between what you're finding in those dark up there on the side of hills. Those are those early season bulls together rubbing velvet rather than when you get mm -hmm. down inside parks or around parks and you're seeing trees blown up a smaller trees and uh those junipers or those saplings that's bulls man that are going nuts demonstrating and just ripping up i mean they'll destroy small saplings that's mm -hmm. rut that's rut rubs right there okay yeah. they're really getting after it so there's a little bit of difference when you're looking for those but they will rut in the same place there okay um yep. Uh, so that's pretty much, you know, if, if there's some things that you guys want to know, um, any more than that, send questions in, uh, when we start getting those, we'll, we'll hit them, man. But really, well, I think another one you, I think another one you had down there is really good. Joe's make sure you use your nose. Oh, you, you can really smell them critters, man. If you'll, if you'll open yourself up, I mean, it's going to smell a lot like licorice and, uh, when they, yeah, it, yeah. and you, as soon as you hit that scent line, man, turn yourself into the wind because that's where they're headed. And and that's a, a great point. Early season elk smell a lot like licorice, man. Yeah. Um, that's the only mm -hmm. way I could explain it. We have a, a we call it anise, right? Yeah. Anise. anise. Yeah. It, it's that's the name uh, of the plant. Yeah. Musky it, smell. It's it's a plant that has that kind of licorice smell, and those elk have that kind of they have that kind of sweet musky smell. Uh, I compare mm -hmm. it to cattle. Um, but later on in the season, when you get that more rank smell on those bulls, it's going to smell more like cattle, more dirty musky is the only way I could call it there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, most definitely, man, use your nose. Use your nose in early season. Use your nose during the season. And if you had a nose like mine, you'd use it all the daggum time. Out there, right? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> hey, quick parenthesis, Joe. Any updates uh -huh. on the grandchild? Um, so... 
Um, yeah, I left for a few minutes, and really, we're, we've got mixed reports right now because of HIPAA. <laughs> they would oh, not yeah. tell us anything, so we're waiting for our daughter to call us, man. So okay. We, okay. we think we we think somebody let it out, and that the baby's been born. Um, but um, we're still waiting for all of our confirmation. So um, awesome. Just, keeping our fingers crossed it's crazy how they got Amen. y'all in the dark like that man yeah yeah <laughs> it is so uh hey uh brother gonzalez with a z man won't you take us to the elk rose mailbox yes sir so we got uh, mr landon innes from arvada colorado uh he's asking how are the thermals affected in late season hunts where uh excuse me when the weather is cold yeah, uh, he's in Hunting Colorado, fourth rifle, November eighteenth to the twenty second. So the big part of this question is: is how does cold weather affect thermals, right? And yeah. basically, uh, um, guys, it's just like if you've if you've seen dry ice, okay, uh, you put dry ice into a bowl and that fog comes out and it's cold. What does it do? It falls, man. Right. So. Uh, if you have, uh, if you have cold conditions, wintry conditions, um, and remember there's a difference between wind and thermals. Thermals are the air falling or rising. And what happens is to a certain level, if that air is not warmed up, it's still falling. And if you have snow on the ground and you have cold conditions, it keeps that it's just like what you were talking about when we get real cold rains, after, that drizzling rain. After rains, yeah. yeah. It just knocks it won't turn. Yeah. It won't turn and come up. Yeah. It won't because it, there's it, no it, warmth to rise it. It keeps, that, it keeps them falling, man. That's um, right. It has to take for that sun to warm up an area, to warm up maybe trees or rocks in the area enough to cause that that thermal mm -hmm. to start doing a rise. It has, it's just like a hot air balloon, man. If you mm -hmm. had a hot air balloon and you kept cold air inside of it, it's not coming off the ground. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if you guys are going to be 34, 35 degrees all day from daylight, you won't have much of a thermal. It'll be falling. It'll be falling below you the whole time. Yeah. So everything above you is lanyap, you know, right. I mean, shoot, you know, that you'll be worried about everything below you the whole time because that air is going to keep falling. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's a little bit different type of deal, man. You got to worry more Good about question. the wind, and you do have to worry about the thermal. Um, right. But all you got to do is, hey, guys, if you keep your scent checkers with you, you learn You'll a lot about thermals, mm -hmm. okay? Learn a whole you lot bet. about them, man. If you if you don't have two scent checkers with you, you're you're not using them enough, okay? Yep. So make sure that you use that. I hope Landon that helps you out there, man, in Arvada. Um, yeah. uh, and and Adrian Anaya has a has a similar question. I think okay. that goes uh, goes goes together with that one. So he's <clears> saying, <throat> I'm going for my third year second season rifle bull elk OTC in southern. Colorado. Mm -hmm. Question is, to start the day out, early hike in the dark, should I concentrate on working from the bottom up or get up high and work my way from there? Second part, vice versa, uh, for the evening part, 
So I think it's this has got to do with the terminals as well, Joe. Well, it, it does, but but look at what he's talking about. He's hunting rifle season, rifle. second season. Uh, very true. Yeah. So actually, dude, you, you want to be up high points. Get um, up top. Yeah. And, yeah, Seems and you want to have your optics, and you want to let your optics do the work for you. Um, you know, don't worry about. Uh, bottoms coming up or that you, you know you're doing too much work if you're doing that and you're putting yourself in the trees where you're not able to see things there find those areas Ridges. up high where you can glass and you can see into two different drainages on each side and mm -hmm. and make sure you have the clothing to be able to be up there for a while don't dress in it when you're hiking up there do the old chavis thing um mm -hmm. you always put extra clothes right yeah 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 because yeah, i'll sweat too quickly so me too i really take anything when i start off but mm. you know once we slow down and and uh or set up you know put some warm clothes or yeah. you're gonna freeze to death <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you got to have those so you know put that stuff on so that you could spend some time there and and let your eyes do your hunting for you then you can actually because at that time of year i mean you're talking um you know, second season rifle. I'm trying to remember the exact dates. I don't have those exactly with me there, but I'm not sure if they're, uh, I think it's in November at that time, I believe. And the later you get, the more that those animals now are falling back into a routine. They're feeding, they're going to bed, they're getting water. So when you get them on the glasses, you can actually work where, what they're doing. You can make a plan and you can get up and, and get a good shot on those guys. So uh, you can get Adrian, the wind. Adrian, try to find favorite. you a park below those ridges. Try to find you a park, a nice, beautiful park below those ridges. Those cows are going to be in there all morning with those bulls feeding up uh, there after the big peak of the rut. I'm telling you, if you'll find you some parks below some ridges, you'll find some bulls in there. And it depends if you're looking for a raghorn or if you're looking, if you're looking for right. a mature bull, he right. won't be with those cows. He'll start, they're starting to pair up and bachelor up. So that's it just right. depends on what you're looking for, but that's what I would do, Adrian. Um, good. Bet. That's a great question, man. You betcha. Who's up next? Well, good. So we got Mr. Randy Fritz from Missoula. Mount, uh, is that Montana? Yes, sir. Yeah. Hey, I got a picture Randy. of Randy, man. I wish I had it with so I could show you guys. Randy, <laughs> um, and Randy, I'm not <clears throat> sure how old you are, man, but uh, this guy's uh, he's he's a young buck that's been out there and sent me a picture of him with a beautiful bull that he killed with the bow, getting it done. Uh, he's got that's a awesome. lot of hunts in the windshield. I'm excited for Randy Fritz. So, um, what Very was cool. his question? Congrats. Man? Yeah. So he's saying, he's saying, I'm planning on going on a nine-day elk hunt in Montana to an area my stepdad has hunted in the past. I have been once, and the majority uh, of the area air is rolling hills with uh, thick lodgepole timber, and almost every low spot has a pond of water of some sort. So catching the elk on their way to the water will be difficult. I'm just wondering what tips uh, you may have for hunting an area like that where there isn't really big ridges to get uh, on above the elk and they could uh, be anywhere. Cover ground, baby. Yeah, you need to cover some ground and just make sure you got the wind at your nose and uh, walk into the wind. Uh, 
And then if you have a lot of uh, little rolling hills, you never know what's on the other side. You know, just be prepared. Mm. Uh, don't skyline yourself when you're as you get near the top. Uh, and uh, peek and, over the top. Man. Yep, peek over the top. Get on your belly, peek over the top. Yeah, exactly. Joe was actually talking about that just uh, on our last podcast. Yeah, uh, exactly, exactly that. Just be mindful of what's behind you as well to make sure that you got you got cover. They're gonna like that lodgepole timber too to bed in. So I mean, right. you're gonna find them. You're gonna find them in and around those lodgepole areas that are having. You know, that's their bedding area. Probably more than likely, those lodgepole areas. Bro. So okay, Yay! we got we got a girl. Congrats. We got us a girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God is good. Congrats, oh, Grandpa. Ellie. Hey. Oh, Grandpa man. Joe. Abuelo. That's awesome, uh, brother. It, it wasn't easy. Ashom had some a uh, little bit of trauma. Uh, had some uh, had some tearing and had to do some repair on her, uh, and so that that took a while. God bless her, man. You know she's feeling some pain right now. She's gonna be all right, Joe. I get that epidural on her. She'll be fine, buddy. Yeah, she'll be gonna be great, man. Congrats, brother. A lot of emotions. A lot of emotions uh, for sure, man. But she's. I mean, that's super normal i think my wife yeah. went through a similar oh, similar uh, situation as well and uh man yeah, that's, uh, that's a normal situation you damn man you got a you got a healthy yeah. baby you got a happy yeah. family brother uh oh. we're we're with you man oh, big hugs man. from here hugs from everybody from uh, h town and above baby yeah man, i tell you uh <laughs> just to grab my wife and to know that the three of them are good, man. That's all that yeah. mattered. And I mean, we really, uh, when it went dark, we got, <laughs> got a little worried and scared there, but, uh, y'all got to see it live here on Elk Bros. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Oh, That's so Barbara, cool, Joe. Yo, so the Grandpa Joe. Grandpa Joe, man. <laughs> Day on so June awesome. 24th. What's the baby's name, Joe? Ellie Barbara. Ellie Barbara Ellie Garcia. Barbara. Yeah. Yep. So um, awesome. my daughter is, is Ashley. My son-in-law is Dominic. Um, so it's right. Dominic, Ashley and Ellie and, uh, That's uh, too cool, brother. New family. Congratulations. Man, so thank you. Thank you. Family. <laughs> I was growing. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's so cool. That's awesome. guys. All right. So, uh, uh, Randy, I hope, uh, she grows up and gets one like you had, man. Are y'all still on Randy? Did you get him covered or what are we doing? I here? think so, man. We told him that, you know, those elk are going to be around that lodge pole timber, especially bedding and stuff like that. And, uh, uh those rolling hills don't, don't skyline yourself. They're going to get in those little ridges and, uh, and stuff to make sure you peek over them before you, but you got to cover ground in that country. I mean, yeah. I have a whole lot of high country, so you got to put the boots on the ground and get after it, man. And I, I check his dates, and he's right around the 22nd of September. So, Randy, man, you are – I prime, mean, prime time. You're, you're prime time, man. You you don't need water. You don't need mm. to wait. Don't wait. Don't Just be listen. passive. Be aggressive. And, and yep. you know, let's uh, – I don't know what kind of calling you do or how good your calling is, but, man – um. Get it ready because you know uh, that's prime time to work 
to work all of that and to work those animals and you're going to do great man and every enjoy the moment learn from it listen to all these different episodes pick up stuff from us keep sending these emails into us we'll answer everything we can but the country with those rolling hills is a lot like what we hunt the thicker the better that you get in there and that thick lodgepole timber man if that so you can get those tight setups but so uh make it happen man okay um hey Luis, i'm gonna take this one over on the bottom here because uh mike had sent this in to me mike wilson from ogden um that's our brother mike over there in ogden utah man and uh this guy is uh i mean he is just getting after it i think i think mike is is my age um uh maybe even a, a little bit older mike don't get mad at me if you're not <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know but uh it's funny because he's listening to the elk bros and he's like man you know i i know that i can do this at this time in my life and he's just getting after it i mean he's doing a lot of cool things so one of his questions was he, he's been out scouting man he said that he's been in an area with pole-sized trees and many many rubs like 30 or 40 and a half acre um of, of all ages these trees and a lot of poop in there <laughs> droppings i guess but almost no lower vegetation just some kind of he's asking is this just some kind of staging area is this um where they will be in september uh, gilbert shaking his head no right um uh, or will they likely be down a little lower where there's more feed gilbert shaking his head yes so <laughs> you know uh gilbert i has got it going on brother he's got the right kind of ideas yeah yeah, he's he's thinking right, right? Um, and this is exactly what we talked about before. What you're looking at, what you found is you found a, a bachelor room, man. And these guys are rubbing all their velvet off. They're just getting every tree in that area around there. They're they're uh, uh, getting uh, getting that velvet off, and they're getting ready for what's coming up. And you're you're absolutely right. Now, what what I'm going to tell you. Um, if this is a dark enough area that gets used as a bedding area late later, and there's a possibility of that. I mean, if it's near where the cows are, there's a huge possibility of that. That is a great area um, to get in on one of those midday hunts if that's where they're at, okay? But what you're seeing right now is probably where they're not going to be, and, and you're absolutely right about where they're going. And his second question kind of related to this. He said, when scouting, I find a lot of elk sign amongst the deadfall and then small pockets with no deadfall and tons of sign. Is there a strategy for hunting through that downed wood? In other words, do you still try to work your way towards the elk quickly well, not so quickly, or do you play more stubborn and try to get them to come out? I'm talking serious jack straw, but lots of sign. So far, I'm encountering this situation as typical in these woods, so he knows that the elk are in there, all right? So what do you guys think about that? Chad, what do you think, brother? Well, um, you know, uh, it sounds like it's, it's a pretty thick area, where they can yeah. bed almost uh, year round, you know, if they have their if they have their food source nearby, uh, if they have water nearby, and uh, if they have uh, somewhere where they can escape, you know, an escape route, uh, it sounds like it'd be a, a good area to yeah. and, to try and, out. And if he's finding I, I a lot think, of sign, go ahead, Gilbert. Yeah, I, I think he's found a bedding area, mm -hmm. and uh, the only time we want to go in the bedroom is kind of the last resort because uh, you don't want to blow them all out of there. 
uh, I would try to find the areas between the bedding area that they're going to and from and try to catch them. Yeah, the corridors. Mm -hmm. That's where I'd try to get after them at. You are not lying. Chav and I came through a bedroom one time. It took us three hours to get through it because we were coming down hills. All deadfalls look like that. I mean, that's really tough hunting. Not to mention, you know, I'm not the most graceful person in the world. And when I fall and bust my tail, I get a little aggravated. So I would (laughs) definitely want to find those corridors between the bedding area. And, and look, I'm not saying don't hunt the bedding area. You get down to your last couple of days and you got to make it happen and you got the right wind. That might be, might be something I want to do, but I don't want to go in there and burn them up my first time. If I can, you know, get them on those transition areas before, before they go through the bedding well, area. Well, and you bring a good point too. And that if you know that they're in there and there's a lot of sign. So one of your questions is, do you get stubborn, try to pull them out? Well, it's not so much stubborn. Um, it's a great midday hunt if you set up 150 yards, 200 yards from where they're bedding in one of those areas, and you start putting on a little bit of a scenario to try to pull that. Because once that bull, if that bull has cows bedded in that thick area right there, he knows where they're at. And then he'll use that time to recover, to get a little food, to go get some water. Or if he discovers that there's another hot cow or another cow in the area, he'll go off to pick up that cow. So that's a good opportunity. I tell you what, dude, Mike, if you find those areas, you better be waypointing those areas. And what I would do is I would then waypoint the water source and the feed areas that I'm also finding a lot of that sign where they're feeding in there at night. You do that, you start to triangulate a little bit. Now, during the rut, bulls move their cows a lot around, but there might be a lot of them that will use that. And like we've said, we we find them sometimes going to the same bedding areas, if not every day every other, every mm-hmm. three days in some of the same places, right? Right. They just make a rotation. Yeah, especially mm-hmm. if they're not bumped. So you start getting those ideas where those animals are moving. Those corridors from food to bed, like Gilbert's talking about, are prime time or calling them off out of those bedding areas. And and like Gilbert said, if we end up in a situation where nothing is happening and it's dead quiet and we're not seeing animals, we will start hunting through those areas slow, moving slow, not moving fast, fast through them, cow calling and looking for a bull coming in silent. And Luis has been with me when we've done something like that on top of a ridge. And that, that year I shot a bull 15 yards probably. It wasn't 10 minutes later they shot a bear coming into the cow call in that same area because that bear could smell the elk in that area there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Man, I tell you what, Mike, you are doing uh, incredible, man, and you're learning so much about elk behavior, and and you've just done it from listening to a bunch of yahoos on a podcast and getting out there and doing it, man, so um, that just shows you, and all you guys out there listening, you can, like Chav always says, lower and flatten that learning curve through the stuff that we teach you, man. One of the things you said... Um that day, Joe, where we got the, both the elk and the bear, right before actually seeing the elk, you mentioned something. It's like, hey, guys, this is the perfect scenario. We got the wind in our face, the sun in our backs, and we're going through uh, thick uh, timber. And, and it's, you know, it's, we got a good canopy above us. So um, and 
I, I remember clearly you you saying that, and right. then it wasn't ten minutes later where we saw that elk coming in. And you know what, Luis? Um, that's why it's so great to have uh, you on this show and guys to send questions because I have not stated that in a single podcast, but you're exactly right. That's something that I look for to do. If I can get the wind in my face, the sun at my back, and I'm working through, it is hard for any elk looking at me in the shadows and the sun coming at them to tell what I am. It's so hard. It's just as hard for us. Right. You know, Um, yeah, but the good thing is we have a brim of a hat that we can sometimes block that. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, and that I'll tell you another thing too. Um, when you are moving through in the dark, okay, when you're moving through in the dark and you're trying to uh, see what's ahead of you, a lot of times if you're using a headlamp, and people have asked me this, we want our headlamps pointed down at the ground. Like if we're out calling before daylight, we never want to be looking around with our headlamps. Whenever we're bugling and we call, we turn our headlamps off because or we make don't want it to a be, red light or a green light. I, I don't want anything shining in any direction. So the other thing is, is a lot of times when you have that lamp on, it, you only see what's illuminated around you. If you'll turn that lamp on or cover it, you'll start to see a light filtering through trees and you can see open areas ahead of you and you can see the trail better when you cover that light. And once you see where you're going, you can, you know, you can let it down so you can back down at the ground. It's just a little hint, you know, to tell you as far as that, that helps you out in those situations. So that's an incredible point that you brought up there, Luis. Good job, man. I remember that vividly from that day. It's just minutes after you said it. Yeah. We had an opportunity. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, you know, guys, Mike man. Mike seems like he's got he's got everything going in the right direction, Joe. All of his thoughts and his points and everything are spot on. This guy's gonna he's gonna kill a really good bull this year. So yeah, good luck. Mike, please stay in touch with us, man, and send us a, send us some pics of the fruits of your labor. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I'm sure he is. Mike's a great guy. Well, we couldn't have topped the show off any better, Joe, than the than the uh, announcement of, uh, of of your granddaughter and uh, uh, Ellie Barbara uh, Garcia. I mean, yep. unbelievable! God's blessed you and uh, blessed your family, and uh, it's been fantastic—a fantastic show. We've been waiting here with bated breath on whether. Uh, baby Ellie was going to show up or not and obviously she has and we've endured a lot of pain and agony and uh, now the celebration shall commence so uh, you know if uh, if Carl would be here he'd say well Joe here's to us and those like us damn few left that's what he'd say Uh, I guarantee you huh amen brother yeah guys again if you like what we're doing please subscribe rate and review you have to go to apple podcast or itunes to review us and you can check out more elk hunting content at elkbros.com just remember if any of our listeners out there like your questions answered on the show just send your question to info at elkbros.com that's info at elkbros.com fantastic show tonight guys chav Joe, appreciate you guys being with us. As always, Luis, always great to have you, brother. And, uh, you, you know, as we as we keep opening the country up a little more and, you know, still having to social distance a little bit, I'm going to kiss my wife and she's going to kiss me. 
And uh, I guarantee you we're going to keep a broad head sharp and a powder dry. And we'll see you guys next week right here on Blue Collar Elk Hunt. Happy birthday, Ellie. Peace. Peace. Happy birthday, Ellie. Happy birthday. Ellie.